I have no idea how you found this show, but I'm glad that you did. Hey, I'm John Hicks. Join me and my band of crazies today on the Retirement Solution Podcast. Here with John Hicks, I'm Jennifer Perry. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And if you want more information on John and the entire team at J. Hagen Capital, if you have a retirement question for us too, just reach out to us on the website at retirementsolutionradio.com. What's the old saying, John? There's nothing certain but... Death and taxes. Death and taxes. And I thought, Mm -hmm. what a great way to start talking about the (laughs) two certainties of life. (laughs) Don't you love it? Welcome to Sunday. We're going to talk about getting kicked in the keister by the tax man before we roll you off into the the pasture. What do you think about them apples? But I feel like we have to bring this up right now. Hold on. Isn't there something else that's also an inevitability? Isn't there something else that's certain that's like more positive? Isn't there? Is no. there? Right, no, I can't think of anything <laughs> oh, positive oh, right now. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, <laughs> that's man. just the mindset a lot of us are in, I'm afraid. But uh, especially right now, when we're talking about death and taxes, here's the thing. It does happen to all of us, and sometimes it happens at the same time. Because when we're talking about some of these latest tax proposals, yeah. especially the ones being floated by the Biden administration, uh, there's this whole death tax debate about where that kicks in and when it kicks in. And actually, it's interesting to hear from a former Democratic senator, Heidi Heitkamp, recently on CNBC. She says, John, she is worried about the impact on families who might face an immediate tax bill when a loved one passes on their assets if some of these plans go through. You know, family assets are about more than a balance sheet. Family assets are about where we work, where we live, where we recreate. And and when you look at taxing unrealized capital gains, what you what you are doing is opening up a Pandora's box that won't be closed for a long, long time. Now, she actually used some logic in her argument here. She does support certain proposals here, but she said, you know, here's the thing. I don't want families and these future generations to face a tax bill immediately upon death. Is that how it works, John, that you could potentially have to pay a tax bill pretty soon after someone leaves you something? Well, the way that the new administration's been talking, that's kind of exactly what they're trying to do. You know, it used to be, uh, well, at least as, as of right now, we have a law in place so that if you were to, let's say, inherit the family farm, you wouldn't have to necessarily pay taxes on that family farm, so you wouldn't have to sell it. Okay. This is the whole point, and it, this, this used to be the case. Uh, you know, 40, 50 years ago, there were a lot fewer people that owned corporations, but there was all kinds of land that was passed down, typically from family farming. I know and a the lot reason, of them right here, yeah. Absolutely, and they would make these laws so that the family wouldn't have to sell off a thousand acres just to satisfy satisfy a tax bill for them to keep the farm. That was the whole point they did that. Hmm. Well, you flash forward, have we not learned why that law was put in? You flash forward now, and the administration was talking exactly about what Senator Heitkamp was saying. She says, hey, you know, this is these are generational assets. These are things that, you know, if we start taxing these, if we're not giving people a step up in cost basis, which is typically what happens right now, where if someone passes away, you get a step up in cost basis so that basically you don't have to pay any taxes just for receiving that property. It's not until after you sell it, if it has a tremendous gain, that you'd have to pay taxes. That's the way it works right now. If they change this, then all of a sudden we may have everyone being forced to sell their family properties, their family apartments, their family farms just to satisfy a tax bill. 
So talk about getting kicked in the keister, mm -hmm. you know. So imagine that, you know, you had invested in a lake house and you loved having all the grandkids out at that lake. It was just one of those wonderful things that you always felt would be passed down in your family because you just loved it that much. Everyone did. But all of a sudden, one day you pass away, your spouse passes away also, and then the kids get it. But instead of being able to utilize that lake house and love it and cherish it like you hoped, instead they got to pay the tax man and hopefully they can even afford to keep the house mm -hmm. at that point to keep the tradition going. See, Jennifer, that's the thing that always makes me very uncomfortable when we start talking about, you know, once we pass away, what's going to happen to our assets? Because if it's going to end up in the greasy paws of the government, I'd rather blow it while I'm still alive. <laughs> right. Or I'd rather give it away yeah. so that I get the joy of the gift. I don't want them to do whatever they choose to do with my money. In, and on top of whatever they're going to do with my money, print even more money to say that my family's also liable for all those debts down the road. Right. I think it's absurd. I'd rather use it myself, or I'd rather just have a good time, or I would rather give it myself. I don't think that the government has the right to do it, but that's exactly what the current administration is trying to put out there. They're trying to take money. Basically, once we're gone, it's a lot easier to rob a grave than it is to rob a house that's inhabited. Yeah, and that's the thing. They've gotten wise to how they can take more of our money. One of those is, you always say, it's easier to fight a corpse yeah. <laughs> or, right, than a live person trying to hang on to that money. So these are some of the proposals we're watching. And actually this week, John, they released more details about what they'd like to try to get through by the end of the year to pay for another $3.5 trillion in spending. So that estate tax is going to be one big piece of this. Uh, what we're also hearing, too, is that they would like to raise corporate tax rates. I believe they did come down slightly on that number, but it's still a big increase from where we are today. I believe right now those corporate tax rates are around 21%. I right. think they want to take them up to a little over 26, 26 to 28 range. How would that affect things? Well, if you kind of think about it, one thing that's going on on the Democrat side of the table, you know, for good or bad, they seem to think that spending money is the only way to solve all the problems. They seem to think that we just keep need to spend, 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 print, print, print money. And the corporate tax rate, I believe this is going to be a little bit of an issue. So when you think about it, if you look out at the stock market and all of these companies have a value, okay, uh, let's say that, that Apple's worth 150 bucks, you know, whatever it's worth. But all of a sudden, it has to pay 7 or 8 or 9% more in annual taxation. So does that mean that it's going to have the same amount of money to pass on to the shareholders? Nope. No. It's going to have 7 8 or 9% fewer dollars mm -hmm. in order to give back to us. So when we look at that kind of structure, that is exactly what can happen across the entire corporate culture. Now, on top of that, guys, if, if you're looking out there like I am, where are all of these awesome jobs that we all would like to have? You know, the United States, we've gotten rid of so many manufacturing jobs. And frankly, because of the pandemic, we've gotten rid of a lot of service jobs. Mm -hmm. If we actually have corporations that are paying more in taxation, that means they could probably not afford to pay us as much to work there, right? right. And so the question is, is this going to have a spiraling effect in the economy? Now, I don't think we have to be all doom and gloom about it, but I do know if all of a sudden I'm consistently having to pay for my staff and my employees higher health care costs every single flipping year if I have to pay higher wage costs every single year all these things at what point in time are American companies just gonna say man this isn't isn't worth it to keep doing this way maybe we don't want to grow that much maybe we're just gonna go ahead and stay about the same we don't see the extra incentives for working that much harder anyway 
Now, see, guys, if we do that, that to me, that's a problem. That's going to be a very an interesting thing to overcome because that is exactly the ideology of socialism where, hey, you know, I guess it's about as good as it's going to be. So why bust my hump today? Why not just go ahead and keep it going the way it's going? Except in business, if you're not growing often, you're dying. Yeah. And that is not a good thing for a stock market to do. Now, why am I saying this right now? Because the stock market is literally as high as it has ever been from a cost standpoint mm -hmm. in the entire history of the market. We're actually on a relative cost basis. We're actually more expensive than we were in 1929 if you look at Robert Schuller's research. That's really expensive, guys. Mm -hmm. So does it mean the market's going to fall apart now? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Could it keep going up? Of course it can. But the question is this. If we no longer have the incentives for the market to keep moving up, how much should it really decrease in value now? 20%? 30%, 40 50%? Mm. Well, maybe, depending on you know what research you're looking at. The question is, how are we protected from that? If we're not protected from that, that is probably the bigger piece of the puzzle as I'm thinking through these tax issues. If all of a sudden there's another issue that we have to face, not only is it pandemic, not only is it illness, not only is it inflation, now it's going to be higher taxes and higher corporation taxes, maybe fewer jobs for some of us, guys, that becomes a problem. That's also what leads that catalyst for a market meltdown. And that is one thing I'm not for. Radio host, financial advisor, and now author. That's right. Check out John's book, The Retirement Solution, on Amazon.com. Or get a free chapter now at RetirementSolutionRadio.com. We've saved for most of our lives just to get to retirement. Sure. But once you get there, will you be able to spend what you've mm. saved? Surprisingly, many retirees have a problem with this. Michael Fink with the American College of Financial Services tells Yahoo Finance. Why are people not spending as much as they could, especially people who have saved a lot for retirement? If you think about it, it, it is a mystery because why did you sacrifice during your working years if you're not willing to spend that money in retirement? Can you help us solve this mystery, though? Why are people so afraid to spend? You know, it, it's a big one, and I, and I have seen this firsthand over the last 20 years myself. And it's amazing. There are so many people that are just, I don't know what it is. Maybe we're just wired different. Uh -huh. And I remember growing up, and, and I, my dad said the family came from a, you know, a German lineage, and they just said they were products of the Depression, they were German heritage, and they just didn't spend money. Mm -hmm. They were just frugal beyond all imagination. And I used to think about that and I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's just something about it. But what happens, Jennifer, is that a lot of people, they just, they can't break the habit. They've just gotten so used to saving, saving, saving that it really is hard for them to pull out that checkbook and write a check for something that they might even love. Uh -huh. They might get so much enjoyment out of a lake house. Or, heck, just to take a vacation to a lake house. Some people don't even do it. And I think there's a few reasons for it. You know, one of the studies that I was actually looking at a couple weeks ago said uh, some of the major components of, of why people don't feel like they should spend as much money is that they're worried about health care costs. They're sure. worried they can yeah. get sick. And what game. happens if they had all that fun and took that 21-day Mediterranean cruise and then got food poisoning on that sucker, and then they were out of commission for four or five months, and it cost them a ton of money yeah. in health care. Or you know, they're worried about dementia and things like that. Guys, I, I don't. I, I know. I hear that that's the case. I understand that that's a fearful thing. But if you if you have the right retirement 
strategy, if you have the right math behind what you're trying to accomplish, you should really never be afraid to spend the money that you choose to spend, uh, as long as you know that there's a plan behind it. The secondary part of that, though, Jennifer, I think, is that if someone has an understanding, maybe they don't want to spend it. Maybe they won't get gratification out of an experience or more stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they should consider doing more charitable giving. Oh, okay. You know, and yeah. not necessarily just for uh, uh, for their churches or their social networks, but maybe they can actually give some contributions to their kids or grandkids for their college funds or their retirement funds. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be wise. And then someone could utilize maybe those dollars in a little bit of a different way. But I do see this all the time. Now, when you talk to folks, Jennifer, that have retired and you know, mm-hmm. do you think they have a problem spending some of the extra money too? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure, because I think you're worried about those later years in life. And I would equate it to, you know, I set up this emergency savings account for things uh-huh. like when the furnace blows or the roof that you have to replace every several years. And, you know, so I keep a, a nice little stash of cash in there. But anytime I actually have to spend money for emergencies, John, uh-huh. I don't like to see that account balance go down. So I get I it. I get it. And I think that's probably the good thing about good savers. We make kind of horrible spenders, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it does happen. It's funny you say that because I have an emergency fund too. And then uh, we had a, a little bit of a leak in, in the basement and we had to get an outfit out there to kind of do one of those, um, I don't know, what is it, water you know, mitigation techniques uh-huh. or whatever. And it costs, you know, several thousand dollars. And of course, when I wrote the check, thank goodness I had it you know, available there. But then I just kept looking at that account balance going, man, I got to get this thing built back up. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel good to watch those zeros lead that sucker. Uh-huh. And maybe that same mentality that we're talking about affects people that have been watching their 401k or their IRA grow for years and years and years. And just mentally, they don't like that trigger of saying, oh, wow, I, not only do I not have $15,000 more this month, man, I've got $25,000 less. I don't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, do we kind of think about this in the same way then, John, where we might segregate our assets a little bit and pull from one account for those things that are true emergencies or think about segregating things like healthcare costs so that you can safely spend from other areas of your retirement income strategy? I think that that's always wise. You always want uh, your plan when it's being set up. You need to know where your income is going to be developed within that plan. And then you need to know what other assets are really made to grow. Uh, The stuff that's producing the income, you should be able to spend that. And the stuff that's growing, you just want to make sure you're not depleting too much of that over the years so you can have that confidence that as long as the economy stays healthy, as long as the U.S. continues to be a viable option for the rest of the world, we should see our economy grow over the next 20 to 30 years. And this is why you pointed out earlier, three to five income sources. That's really kind of what we're shooting for, because that helps us actually make that decision to go spend and have a little fun while we can. It absolutely does. You know, there's something I would almost say the word might be cavalier. (laughs) But there's something about people that have four or five income streams and they know they're coming in. So they got Social Security. Maybe they got a pension. Maybe they have a couple rental properties that give them some income. Maybe they have an annuity and maybe they do a little part time work. But when they have that many income sources, even if one of them dries up a little bit or one of them, you know, so your renter didn't pay you for a couple months, you're not freaking out. Mm -hmm. You, You know, you have those other sources of income that are coming out to you. And here's what I've said for years. I don't even care what those five or four or five income sources are. It is completely irrelevant to me. What I just need people to know is that with varying income sources gives you so much more confidence that things are going to work out. But those that cavalier attitude that often comes from just feeling, just knowing that, hey, you know, a couple of these things can screw up and I'm still A-OK, man. Thanks for listening. Want more from John? Find us online at retirementsolutionradio.com. 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. J. Hagen Capital is a registered investment advisor. To find out if John Hicks is licensed in your state, please call 502-690-5635. J. Hagen Capital Incorporated is not affiliated with nor endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency and does not provide legal advice. Annuity guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. By contacting us, you may be provided with information about insurance products and annuities offered through John Hicks. Kentucky Insurance License Number 99882. 